You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, this is Doc G, and we are back with a rewind episode. Can you reverse engineer yourself to success? In other words, is copying the way to go? We have an interesting conversation here where we discuss how we do amazing things. And believe it or not, one of the ways is to look at how other people have done it in the past and maybe improve on them or at least steal what they do most successfully. Check it out. This was recorded, oh, a little more than a year ago, and it was done live on Fireside, the Fireside app or Fireside chat. Check it out. Some of the advertisements, etc., may be dated But generally, if you haven't heard this before, it is new to you and well worth a re-listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Earn and Invest podcast. This is your host, Doc G. Here we have the conversations that help you earn and invest in your future so you can make the right decisions today. In a moment, I'm going to introduce Joe Salcihai and Jen Smith. But first, our topic today, we are going to talk about reverse engineering Let me start with Ron Friedman's forthcoming book, Decoding Greatness, How the Best in the World Reverse Engineer Success. I'm going to quote here from Ron. He starts the book with an amazing story. So I'm going to tell you bits and pieces of it first, and then we'll start the conversation. By the time Steve Jobs finds out he's been betrayed, it's already far too late. The press conference is over and the news is out. Slowly, it dawns on him. Apple's head start is about to disappear. The year is 1983, and we are in Cupertino, California. The computer company Jobs co-founded is barely seven years old. Its rise has been meteoric. In a few short years, Wall Street will place its value at over a billion dollars. But now, just six short weeks from the release of Apple's boldest innovation yet, the Macintosh, Jobs discovered he's been scooped. The blow arrives from more than 2,500 miles away in the lavish ballroom of New York City's famed Helmsley Palace Hotel. On stage, standing before a gaggle of reporters, Bill Gates has just announced Microsoft's plans to develop a user-friendly operating system, one with more than a few striking similarities to Macintosh. Now, let me interrupt the story for a minute. You see, at this time, Gates was a vendor of jobs. So inevitably, the next day, there's a face-to-face showdown. Friedman says, Jobs wasted little time tearing into him. 
you're ripping us off, he yelled, his underlings glaring all eyes on Gates. I trusted you, and now you're stealing from us. Gates took it in quietly. He paused a moment, not once looking away, and then he casually delivered a devastating line, rendering the entire room speechless. Well, Steve, I think there's more than one way of looking at it. I think it's more like we both had this rich neighbor named Xerox, and I broke into his house to steal the TV set and found out that you had already stolen it. There was a computer that most people had never heard of called Alto. It offered many of the same features that would come to distinguish the Macintosh, like graphics that made computers easier to use and a mouse for communicating commands, except the Alto was developed a full decade earlier. And both Gates and Jobs had reverse-engineered their groundbreaking products from the Alto. Friedman goes on to say, the practice of reverse engineering, of systematically taking things apart to explore their inner workings and extract new insights, is more than an intriguing feature of the tech industry. For a surprising number of innovators, it's a tendency that appears to have emerged organically as something of a natural inclination. So today on Earn and Invest here on Fireside, we're going to discuss reverse engineering and its role in creative and successful endeavors. To help me out here on stage, we have Joe Saul Sihai. He is the creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and he is anxiously awaiting the birth of his own book baby in early 2022. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. As you know, because you and I talk about this all the time, Doc, it's one of my favorite topics. How do we actually get that originality that we crave, you know, based on the story that you just told, it's a completely different path to greatness than we think it is. And Joe, you interviewed Ron Friedman. His interview will be on Stacking Benjamins. And you and I don't necessarily agree always on all of this stuff. So it's going to be a fun conversation. Jen Smith is the writer behind the ever popular website, Modern Frugality, and the co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast. Jen, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I think where there's creativity, there is always a little bit of plagiarism. So excited to talk about reverse engineering and how that plays into that. Yeah, you use the term plagiarism, which is in a sense a bad term. It's almost like we think of people who plagiarize as bad actors, but reverse engineering maybe is something slightly different. We're going to get into that more and Rich Jones is the creator of Paychecks and Balances, which is an award-winning multimedia platform dedicated to helping Gen Y professionals achieve the freedom they want. Rich, welcome and happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. Thanks for having me on. Excited to have this conversation, creativity, reverse engineering, all the things I find myself binging on the uh, Netflixes, the YouTubes, and even in my spare time, I've got a whiteboard where I go all out ham on the creative stuff. Joe, I want to start with you. And this is a crux of a conversation we've had quite a bit. But how do we draw the line between emulating someone successful and stealing? The thing is stealing nowadays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And people are ripping off ideas all the time, right? And the bad news is, is I think when you rip off, people can see the imitation and you can also feel the lack of authenticity a lot. So it's interesting that that even Dr. Friedman, when I talked to him about this topic, he said that there's so many failures when you hit something right on the head. But switching authors, another guy, Austin Kleon, who I absolutely love, he's got a great book called uh, uh, Steal Like an Artist. 
And he, he's quoting Picasso, who said that art is stealing. And what Austin says, though, is that what you're really doing, Doc, is you're, re, you're remastering. You're paying homage to the person. You, you, you even point out who your inspiration is, right? You say, hey, I got this from here. I got this from this place. But I put it together in this unique way that really is authentic. And, you know, I mean, you can feel it, right? When somebody's made something like, wow, that seems a lot like this other thing, but it's a, but it's a cool remix. Like when somebody does a cover and the cover sounds exactly like the original song, we don't like it that much. But when we hear a cover where somebody did something really cool and kind of changed it up and made it original, it becomes this whole new thing. It's got this cool life of its own. And I think that's where the difference is. Rich, let's talk about this life of its own. Paychecks and Balances was not your first podcast, but can you remember going back and listening to other podcasts at the time and saying, yeah, that's where I want Paychecks and Balances to land, or that's what I want Paychecks and Balances to sound like? It's so funny you asked that question because I feel like Joe gave it to you as a setup because Joe's podcast was the first podcast <laughs> in the personal finance space that I actually liked. Because there was a, a fun approach to it. It wasn't just facts. It wasn't just, here's what you need to do. And if you don't do this, you're, you're dumb. You're stupid. Uh, I actually laughed and had a good time. And I was like, I want something fun like this. I don't want a boring podcast where it's just throwing information and, and terms and, and jargon at people. So that was a real starting point for me as I was looking around. I kept seeing the uh, same types of faces is, is how I'll word it here. And I, and I saw a real opportunity to add a, a new voice to the space and, and also give a perspective that I didn't feel was out there, which I think is how a lot of artists begin the creation process. Rich, it's an important point because what you're saying is not only did you see things that were there that you liked that you could reverse engineer, but you were also able to differentiate what wasn't there. And exactly. Maybe some of the voices were sounding very similar and you could pivot off of that. Exactly. And I, I think an element of copying specific to the podcast space that's, that's been helpful. Now, it's a, it's a slippery slope. I'll, I'll say that. But when I've found podcasts that I've uh, enjoyed or maybe even not enjoyed, but they're really popular, a lot of times I'll go and read the reviews just to get a sense of like what people are saying about the show and how people are experiencing the show. And I'll learn things even from that, especially from a, a show that I really like. Like, you, why do people love this podcast so much? And a lot of times the reviews and the feedback you see the people sharing on social media is going to tell you that. So I consider that like a, a little bit of stealing. But I realize depending on, on how your mindset is set up, that could also create jealousy and create a vicious cycle in terms of envy and things like that as well. Jen, talk to us more about this research aspect. When you're starting a new venture do you go and see what's out there already and how much research do you do? Is it a matter of taking a listen or taking a look or do you have pen and paper out and are you writing positives and negatives down? Absolutely. I think if you're going to start something and really want to commit to it for the long term, you have to do in-depth research. Like just what Rich was saying, going into comments and reviews and seeing what your target audience wants to hear, what they like what they don't like, taking what they don't like with a grain of salt, but really focusing on what they do like. And it's so funny because I could say the same thing Rich said about Stacking Benjamins was a huge inspiration for Frugal Friends podcast. Uh, and we just took what I love about Stacking Benjamins, 
and kind of put our own twist on it and and gave our listeners what we think that they want and need because we have different audiences. But I've gone on record in saying Stacking Benjamins was a huge inspiration for our show. But it's a little mix of research and kind of what you yourself as a creator enjoy because ultimately you're the one putting it out. So you have to be true to yourself first. Joe, it's an interesting question because both Rich and Jen have pointed to Stacking Benjamins. And I'm interested for you, when you were creating Stacking Benjamins, how did you reverse deconstruct and what did you reverse deconstruct? Because, for instance, neither Jen nor Rich have character like Neighbor Doug, which Stacking Benjamins is famous for. It's part of the comedy of the show. So both of them are saying that Stacking Benjamins had an influence on them. On the other hand, they sound very much like different shows. So tell us about the beginning influences for Stacking Benjamins. Well, it's the same thing for us, Doc. And by the way, I feel like I owe Rich and Jen both 10 bucks each for saying such nice things. (laughs) I think it's, you know, the, the first thing I did, I did two things. Number one was I knew what I didn't want. And it was a lot of what Rich is talking about, which is a singular point of view podcast I wanted a podcast that had much more diverse angles and diverse voices. So younger people, older people, people that are are struggling with poverty, people that are struggling with wealth. I wanted it to be a circus of these different ideas instead of, you know, what we had at the time, if you remember, was we had people like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, and and no offense to them. It just, I didn't want people feeling like they were coming to finance mountain and praying to the finance gods that I would give them the answer to their question. (laughs) What I really wanted was more of a discussion and realizing that even if we're fighting different battles, we're all, we're all much more alike than we are different. And, and the, the diversity, I think in, in every sense of that word is way, way, way more fun radio. But so I knew I didn't want that. What I wanted was was a show that was fun. And to get it, I had to look outside of the finance realm, which often when I was talking to Dr. Friedman also, he said, this is a great way to deconstruct stuff is to take something in one field and apply it to yours. So the idea of having a sense of place, Joe's mom's basement, you know, people ask us if that was Wayne's world and we're, it, it actually wasn't, it could have been, but it wasn't. I listened with my kids. When my kids were young. I listened to the show on XM Kids called Absolutely Mindy. And Mindy is this girl who is has been grounded and she's supposed to be cleaning a room. And instead, she's using a hairbrush as a microphone and she's pretending she has an internet radio show or a satellite radio show where all her friends can call in. And my kids would call Mindy and Mindy would yell down at her mom when her mom would yell up at her. And, and it was just so funny. And there was this sense of place that that I really wanted that. We have a hidden track at the end of our shows that I'm not allowed to talk about, so please keep our secret. <laughs> but that came from an Xbox podcast called, the, now it's the official Xbox podcast. It was the Major Nelson Show. And then I love board games. So there's a board game podcast called The Dice Tower, and I'm kind of ADD, but I really like that show because it moves. It's got segments. And I also like late night shows like Jimmy Fallon, probably Jimmy Fallon the most because it's, it's, it's lighter, it's snappy, it's, it, it's fun. It doesn't get in the weeds as much as some of the other late night shows do. doesn't get into politics really hardly at all. And so I was stealing from all these different places to create our own sense of community, our own little Easter egg at the end and our own, you know, late night vibe to get the to get the show rolling. Joe, you kind of said two really interesting things there. One is like Rich, 
you used reverse engineering to decide partially what you didn't like and what was common to some of the competitors out there. The other is talking about moving outside of your field, looking outside of podcasts, outside of personal finance, and concentrating on radio shows or TV shows or what have you. Rich, did you do the same? Did you find inspiration outside of podcasting and personal finance when it came to paychecks and balances? Yeah, I think the other thing for me that um, a lot of people don't know is that I was a writer slash blogger for five years before I even started my first podcast. So I've been doing things online since 2008. So I've always been an active reader of blogs, writer of blogs. I've also dabbled in creating websites behind the scenes. A lot of the websites that you see that I probably have today, I've had a, a significant hand in creating. So I don't, I wouldn't say that I've specifically looked at all of these things for inspiration, but just given that they're naturally part of my experience, they're part of my perspective. And I think that that's really helped me in terms of the the realm of things that I do understand. Like I understand the back end and the front end of a website. I understand the back end of podcasting, which then translates to my my understanding of the back end of video creation, which then allows me to do some things that folks would not be able to do otherwise without having like this set of experience. So I don't feel like I've looked specifically at these various things, but all of these various things have influenced me just given that they're naturally part of my life. Jen. When I listen to Rich, you know, there's a process. And when he's talking about blogging and understanding the technicalities of everything before he gets to podcasting, I start to think that we all have journeys, especially as creators. And I'm wondering if you start by riffing on someone else's success, isn't that like a shortcut? I mean, isn't there some benefit in taking the journey from the beginning? There there can be, but I think what keeps people going at this long term is having uh, quick wins up front. Because if you can be successful taking the long road, for sure, we've seen that, especially with, you know, pioneers in every industry. But if there's a proven path to doing something, then why wouldn't you take the proven path? Why wouldn't you try to reverse engineer, get those quick wins while still being true to yourself. And and then it's more sustainable. I, I see so many podcasters quit podcasting because it's a lot of work and you don't see a lot of results up front. You kind of you have to love what you're doing. And the only thing that keeps me in podcasting, besides you know really liking spending time with Jill, is the money. So, <laughs> I mean, I think if we, if we didn't have those, we definitely wouldn't still be podcasting. Where do we get the money? I want to know about the money. <laughs> <laughs> still looking and, and, for it. Still, and, and, still looking for most of it. Well, and actually, Doc, I want to jump on that one too, because I, I made this mistake thinking that originality and figuring out how the wheel was constructed added some value, which I think is what your question is. I used to think that. And I remember telling when I was a financial planner, telling the number one guy at our firm, when he asked me if I wanted to join his practice and he would give me, quote, the recipe, I, I came back at him and said, I don't really want to know the recipe because I think there's huge value in learning all the pieces yourself, like this, this noble journey, right? I don't believe that at all anymore. I think now time is my enemy and the more fun journey is the one where you're charting a new path and you really do that by reaching the frontier. 
So I can either take a road that's already been traveled a hundred times, or I can create a new one, which for me is, is way more exciting. So getting to that point where you're on the frontier of pushing what it is that you're doing with the knowledge of all these people behind you, I think is, is a way better path. You're going to be on a path no matter what. Why not make it your own path instead of retreading the same path everybody else has, has done? I now feel like I wasted a ton of time that I didn't need to waste. I also want to jump in real quick uh, because <laughs> one, I think the why is also incredibly important in longevity. And the first thing I ask people when they say that they want to start a podcast is what's your why? Because beyond the money is uh, this something that's aligned with purpose, values, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be super serious, but but there has to be something that keeps you going, given that it is this difficult. And you are going to have times where you need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And you have something to uh, call back to, which 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 I think is uh, super important. So wanted to throw that in there. Let's take a quick break. I am talking with Joe Salcihai of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, Jen Smith from Modern Frugality, and Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. And we are discussing reverse engineering. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. You know what? One of my favorite podcasts to listen to when I'm not busy making earn and invest. You guessed it. The Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson. Here, Coach really has two main types of episodes. One where he teaches you himself the tips and tricks to using this asset class. The other is where he has guests, real examples and proof of concept about how you can use real estate to cash flow regularly and to become financially independent. It is one of the best podcasts out there, especially if you are interested in the real estate asset class. Check them out at coachcarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com, the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. Take a listen. You won't regret it. We're discussing today reverse engineering. How do we decode greatness? This is from the book of Ron Friedman, Decoding Greatness, is coming out on June 15th. Joe, you read Ron's book and talked to him recently. He went as far as to say that being original actually can be a problem because it's hard to get people to buy into an original idea and it actually may work against you in a new venture. But no, that, that surprised the heck out of me. And I think, I think it's a lesson to all of us that we often want to be original. I know that there is a board game creator who I know who just, he sent me this awful, awful game to, uh, uh, to play test. He was trying to get on our show. And as a guy who's played lots of games, I, the, the game was clearly broken and, and it was a mess and it was using design ideas that were from 20 years ago. And when I talked to him about it, he said, well, I don't play other games because I don't want to accidentally steal other people's work. And what we're talking about here is exactly what I told him, that, that stealing other people's work is good. And you have to play a lot of games. If you want to write poetry, you have to read a lot of poems. If you want to write books or movies, you have to you have to find out where the niches are in those cultures. When I hear a podcaster talk about the fact that they don't listen to podcasts, I think, really, what, how can how can you be creative in this field and not listen to some of the great people doing this stuff? You know, if it, so originality, I think, is is really misunderstood that the true originality, the great, the greats 
most often are people who are very up on other people's stuff and they know how to go a step further than everybody else is. So it feels familiar enough that people are going to embrace it, but different enough and fresh enough that they're going to like yours better. Jen, what Joe is talking about is this idea that some of the greatest content producers out there are ravenous when it comes to consuming similar content. Let's get to some specifics. If you are looking at a successful competitor, how do you know what to focus on and concentrate on? How do you know what to reverse engineer for your show? There, there is a balance for sure. I think when you're first starting out and you're in that research phase, you're listening to a lot more or researching in wherever you're at a lot. And then you don't want to do that too much because you don't want to second guess yourself and lose the purpose behind why you wanted to do it in the first place, which I feel like if when I write a course or something that's new to me now, I feel like I can get in the weeds with that. Like now I'm confident enough in my podcasting where I don't feel like I'm like replicating anybody else. But at first, and and now I don't listen to as many podcasts as I did when I was starting my podcast. Like I was listening to Stacking Benjamins and Choose FI. And I was listening to a lot of like business shows kind of outside of my niche, trying to get a feel for what's missing in women-led podcasting and what's missing in personal finance podcasting. Because I think for me, the people I really admire, it starts with a, a passion to do something, really wanting to do something, and then researching and finding what's missing. Like I heard an interview with John Lee Dumas and he was saying like, the thing he saw that was missing in entrepreneurial podcasting was just a constant influx of interviews with people. And so he wanted to do something new. So a daily show with interviews. And so that was his like creativity. It's not like an interview show or an entrepreneur show was anything groundbreaking, but he, he saw what was missing and filled that gap. And so there is a, and, and now I'm sure he doesn't probably listen to like real, I, I can't speak for him, but the, you know, he definitely doesn't, you know, do as much research as he did when he was starting. So yeah, I think there's a balance between definitely doing that lot of research up front and then giving yourself the freedom to let your creativity bloom. Jen, I know that somewhat recently, I should say that you got on TikTok and you've been doing more and more on TikTok. How did you know who to focus on? How did you know who to pattern yourself after? That one was more, it was definitely more like on my end being creative, being creative because there's not a ton of personal finance creators on TikTok. There are some really good ones. And so I kind of, they, they have like a duet and a stitch feature where you can actually like feature other people's videos on your channel if you like them. So, so that's really helpful. And kind of just looking at what's trending and seeing if I can do this outside of personal finance and get more people just to see my work and possibly follow me so that they maybe weren't interested in personal finance before, but could start to get some money tips seeping into their For You page. I think that is kind of my goal. But I try try not to model too much of my work after too many people. I kind of have seen what I don't like 
there and I don't do what I don't like. And I do what's easiest for me as a creator and what I think is most helpful. Rich, let's flip the script a little bit. Up to this point, we've been talking about how we can reverse engineer to be more successful in creative ventures. But I'm wondering if you ever listen to someone else and start thinking that maybe they reverse engineered you and how does that feel? I can imagine if I was starting my Earn and Invest podcast going, yo, this is Doc G, what's good? That is a Rich Jones line. You ever hear people copying you and how does it feel? Ooh, at first I didn't know where you were going with this. And then I started processing it. And then I felt the heat in my chest rise all over again because I I did have this happen one time and it didn't actually feel like a compliment or flattery where I understood that the, the folks who created the podcast were stealing like an art or trying to steal like an artist and they were trying to model. But it was strange to me to listen to a show and hear my exact intro word for word with their names put in. So that that actually did happen to me <laughs> a, a few years ago. And I didn't you know, reach out because it didn't feel like a, a situation where it was a threat. It was a much smaller show. But I think that was one where like it kind of crossed the line where it's like, yes, draw inspiration from, but don't take the exact script of, you know? Jen, it's an important question. Like, how do we draw that line? We see this, especially with blog posts, right? There's a lot of people out there who are on the web and see a blog post that looks strikingly like theirs, maybe even the same wording. When is it okay? And when is it not okay? I I think there has to be some creativity in there. I think there's room for everyone There are definitely, you know, a lot more female co-hosted personal finance podcasts now than there were three years ago. And some of them have artwork and names strikingly similar to Frugal Friends. But I think there's room for everyone. I think as we grow as creators, we're not talking about the same things we did as we started. And so if somebody new can come in and talk about those things in a fresh perspective, good for them. I think if they are copying the bill of the week and our lightning round and like doing these things word for word, I think that's where it becomes troublesome. But I also remember that not many podcasts make it past 10 or 20 episodes. So I don't worry much about it because I, I don't, podcasting for the long run is definitely difficult. It's not, I wouldn't say it's difficult. I love it, but it is a it is a commitment that not many people follow through with and so i also am it, that kind of eases my mind a little bit and people will hear our show and know that show with like over 500 reviews definitely started that thing versus this one with like 20 so i i don't worry too much about it but it is kind of at, when i first see it i'm like oh man but then it's also flattering. So as long as they change up the wording, it's, I don't care. You know, I'll freely admit that I do steal some from Terry Gross, the Fresh Air podcast, because I just think her way of interviewing is amazing. Rich, it really begs the question, you know, can we get into intellectual property issues? I mean, most of us don't really understand patenting and intellectual property, but there is such thing as IP law you ever either fear that someone's going to come after you for something you've done, or you ever feel like going after someone else like that example that you posed with using your introduction? 
Yeah, I mean, in 2021, I, f- I fear everything. That's why I delete all my internet. It's, you ain't you ain't catching me out there. You ain't making me a, a martyr. But yeah, it's it, it's something that I, I've thought about. I think I, I've become a lot more cautious just as my own influence has grown of, of what I have out there. So I kind of say that jokingly about old content, but even things like pictures on a blog where you didn't get the, the proper license to use that photo and which is super common. People just go to Google images and just grab someone's work and put it on their website. That can actually become a huge issue. So I've actually been going back through like old projects and making sure that I'm I've mitigated risk where possible to avoid something like that. As as far as where I've drawn my own influence, I think that what I've created for myself is distinct enough to where if anything, someone may someone may know where I got an influence for maybe an idea and they might say like, oh, I could tell he listened to or, oh, I could tell that he follows. But I don't think anyone would ever say, yeah, he's copying, you know, which is a completely different word. So I don't worry about like anyone coming after the podcast because it's it's purely original. I don't worry about, you know, anything as much with like the blogs anymore. It's just more so making sure that I don't get complacent, I think is the word that I'm looking for, where a lot of times we reach a certain level of success and we feel like we're just kind of coasting through. And then that's when things start slipping and and that's when mistakes start happening. Joe, I'll ask you the same question. You ever get concerned about intellectual property when you're stealing like an artist? No, because I, I do two things. Number one is attribution. We always attribute who the source is. If it's, if it's obvious that we're using somebody else's material, or we, we remix it enough that you wouldn't even know. Like when I explain where the ideas for our show came from, I can hear it, but everyone we've, we've told where the inspiration comes from when we disclose that stuff, people are like, wow, I didn't even hear it. So it's more, it's, 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 it's more for us. Joe, since you interviewed Ron Friedman, I'm curious if you are new to something, new to podcasting, new to blogging, whatever it may be, how do you actually pick who to reverse engineer, especially if it's a field you're not yet familiar with? He actually addressed this, and I found this really interesting. He said to create what, what he, he calls a private museum, right? So think of a museum and all these different things. Like go, go and listen to, if we take a podcast as an example, go listen to as many different podcasts as you can. And as you think about wings, you know, maybe we had the personal finance wing that the four of us are in. But then you have the, the comedian's wing, you've got the just business in general wing, careers, whatever it might be, spirituality, physical fitness, go, go dig into those wings and try to make it a full museum. And he talks about it in a way that, that he says, for a lot of people, they'll even create a spreadsheet. So their museum is in spreadsheet form. What do they do that you like? What do they do that you don't like? So you can go back and after you've got the museum kind of created part way, the way to decode greatness, as he calls it, is to look for commonalities of what the best people do. The, the podcasts that are listened to the most, what do, what do they do? Yeah, Janet Ivanovich, uh, the writer of all these great uh, pulpy detective stories that I love, like one for the money, two for the road. You know, she's got the whole series of them. She, she wrote a great book about how she writes doc. And she said a shortcut to writing. She said, number one, read a lot of books. But if you really want a shortcut, watch a lot of movies because the story arc in a movie is the same as in a book. It just develops quicker and it won't give you the fullness of a book. And at some point you're going to have to read a bunch of books, but a great shortcut. So 
you know, I think a great shortcut for a podcast producer is go look at any top 50 list and, and start listening to as many of those shows as you can devour and find the similarities. Let's take a quick break. I am talking with Joe Salcihai of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, Jen Smith from Modern Frugality, and Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances, and we are discussing reverse engineering. I'm Doc G, and this is Earn and Invest. Have you been enjoying listening to the Earn and Invest podcast every Monday and Thursday? Well, if you have, I have two opportunities for you to continue the conversation. The first is the Facebook group. That's at earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. It is a place where you can come together with the community and discuss not only what we talk about on the episodes, but pretty much whatever's going on in the world today, personal finance, the economy, the latest news cycle, you name it, we talk about it there. The other thing to check out is the Earn and Invest blog. Just go to earnandinvest.com slash blog, and there you can see my latest writings about personal finance and financial independence, two resources for you to utilize when you're not listening on Mondays and Thursdays. Check them out. Rich, Joe just mentioned this idea of spreadsheeting. You were talking about whiteboarding. Have you gotten better at reverse engineering over the years? Is this something you actively practice? I do. Not as frequently as I would like, but I do. I've gotten really big into uh, mind mapping, which think like a circle in the middle, and then you start drawing lines out with other circles, and it's kind of like spider web. It, these things have all sorts of different names, but I've actually found myself doing a lot more mind mapping, whether from the beginning or from the end and working my way backwards to figure out all of the various things that are involved and all of the various things that I'll need to do or that uh, I'll need to hand off. And it's it's interesting because we're talking about art and people don't think of like backend processes and efficiencies and workflows as art, but like that stuff is really exciting to me. <laughs> And so seeing a process, even in my business, just like not working and figuring out how I can automate it so that nobody has to do it. Like to me, that is that is like actually exciting. And it's nothing but re reverse engineering and understanding where are the points that can be removed and where are the points that we can add something in to make that particular part of the process or that particular thing better. Jen, do you have a unique process? I mean, Rich is talking about mind mapping. We've talked about spreadsheeting, whiteboarding. Like how do you do your best work? I love to-do lists. I love writing things down on my planner and like crossing things off. That is really cathartic to me, but just like as simple as possible. I know some people love their like full focus planners and that's like too much for me, but I wish I did mind mapping. That seems like a, like a really holistic way to, to get everything out. But I'm a lot in, I can't even use like Asana or anything. I'm like all in Google Docs and Sheets. So just lists for me is how I like mind map. Joe, are there any creative ventures that you shouldn't reverse engineer? Anything that maybe this process is just not necessary for? You know, what's, what's funny that you asked me that is that Jen said something earlier that that I will agree with. Don't re-engineer your show to the point that you are you're giving up all your creativity to chase your audience. 
while the, the while the customer may always be right, I don't think your audience really knows what they want. They they know what sounds good when they hear it, but in terms of creating that magic, I don't think a show can have authenticity and magic if you're constantly pulling your audience and pandering to them. To some degree, it's it's your own little art project, right? When you're in elementary school and you bring home this thing that you think is awesome, this picture that you drew, and you know you hand it to your mom or your dad, and they look at it the way that I looked at it with my kids, and you're like, "Wow, it looks like third grade crappy art." Maybe it is third grade crappy art, but it's my art. And and I think that when you lose that that sense of it being yours that you're sharing with the world. I think that's when that's when the creativity then just vanishes. And that's also, you know, Jen talks about what keeps people in podcasting. I think that's when you hear some of these voices that start off as really original go away because it's no fun making the show anymore when you're just just chasing something and you're not really sure what it is. And your audience really, frankly, isn't sure either. Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see, and this is across mediums is, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a show thing, creating a whatever, what should I do? Right. <laughs> and it's like these people, you don't know if these folks are your target. Oh, like, why are you? And it, it's as a, as a content creator, like given, given over that level of control to your audience. And, and it's just constantly a moving ch- target because people are fickle. And, <laughs> and so putting your, your vision and, and, and all your time and energy into What's going to make, you know, your Facebook followers happy versus what's going to ultimately make you happy, I think, is a recipe for pod fading, blog fading, falling off after a few weeks when you realize that you're not getting the level of feedback from these people who told you this is what they wanted, but now they're actually not following through and even consuming it. And Rich, I like that middle ground because, and I'll give you an example of uh, where, where what Rich is talking about applied to me. Is that we got this early? We got this early review that said that we're nowhere near as funny as we think we are, and and we need to stop. Which which is usually tr- is still true, but we need to quit. We need to quit clowning around and and just make a show that's about money. Get more serious, and this will be a good show. And I thought about that review. I thought about what they wanted. And I looked at it and at first, you know, like any negative review, you get a little angry and you're like, no, screw you. We are funny. But then I realized, Doc, that while I've spent a long time in personal finance, I just like sitting around and laughing, but I've never studied comedy. And now I'm making a show that I'm putting out there to the world. And I haven't even studied my new craft, right? I thought the craft was money. And then I realized that the truth of this review was not stop clowning around I could have done that, but then it wouldn't have been authentic. What I really needed to do was lean into the comedy and get good at it so that I didn't get that review anymore. And so we started taking comedy courses online. We started working on, we've watched tons of videos, read comedy books. And, you know, a lot of it's a waste of time. Some of it is just phenomenal. But over time, I think the show has gotten funnier, which is not what this reviewer told me to do. But it really was the heart of the uh, of the review. And to Rich's point, I think for us, that's how we met him halfway. Jen, I struggle with this on earn and invest a lot. On one side, you have the audience, which has its unique interests and needs. Then we have this idea of authenticity, our own unique interests and needs. And last but not least, we have, let's call it best practices, what we've seen through reverse engineering 
is successful. How do we balance all three of those? Well, isn't that the million dollar question? I mean, that is the struggle you will go on through your entire career. You'll never find the perfect answer for that because your interests will change. My interests have changed since starting my blog and starting our podcast and our audience changes. We do a very niche podcast or it used to be very niche and now it's just, you know, kind of broadly niche, but I mean, they change. Our audience now will probably not be our audience in two years and best practices change. So it's a constant quest while you shouldn't burn yourself out trying to perfectly balance. I don't, I don't love the term balance. I love more so to prioritize. So in some seasons, I'm prioritizing what I want and how I want to make the show. In some seasons, I'm prioritizing how um, my audience reacts to it. And then others I'm prioritizing, okay, how do I make money from this? So it's, it's about prioritizing in the right seasons and just continually looking at quote unquote, the right balance. Joe, the word that keeps on coming back to me, maybe to sum up the conversation is alignment that we have all of these things pulling on our creativity, our personal issues and authenticity, our community as well as tried and true success. It sounds like your example about comedy there was all about alignment and finding what in the criticism aligned with your own sense of authenticity and interest. Yeah, I think you have to start off with a strong compass of what you want to make, but then be willing for be willing to find out that the journey isn't going to go the way that you planned it in the beginning. And actually, if you think about it, that's half the fun, right? I think if you go into it with a growth mindset where you're going to learn along the path versus, you know, I'm right, it's all about me. And if you think about it, when you go into something, Doc, where you want to re-engineer greatness, like Friedman says in this book, if, if you want to re-engineer something, you immediately adopt a growth mindset. You adopt a questioning mindset where you're thinking about, I might be wrong and I might not have all the answers. I think we get into trouble when we're rigid and really finding out about uh, the best way to do things and how to riff off of other people's stuff means that you have to go in thinking that I've got to be a sponge. I got to be willing to to adopt some other things and and learn some things that might end up making my journey a little more fun than it would have been before I learned it. Rich, last thoughts on reverse engineering. I love what Joe just said about rigidity because in a sense I think reverse engineering and rigidity are almost polar opposites. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because one of my top things is freedom, but I also like having some kind of confines and rules for how I work. But that's also so that I'm getting the most from an efficiency perspective for, from my mind, because I know that without having like certain systems and rules that I'll get off track, I'm someone that legitimately has like ADHD. So in order for me to create and in order for me even to put myself in a space to reverse uh, engineer, I've got to I've got to make sure that like just like mentally that I'm there. And then also that I'm I'm spending my my energy on on the things that are my highest level of interest and my best use, which is constantly changing as well. So I, I, I think a lot of the reverse engineering, there's a constant level of self-awareness to require a self-awareness that's required, because even 
with artists, they go through phases and periods and we all move the same way as well. And, and it's important that we stay in, in tune with how we're evolving because that's going to impact the way that we create. Well, we are discussing Ron Friedman's book, Decoding Greatness, How the Best in the World Reverse Engineer Success. I am about to give my guests a chance to tell us what's up next in their life and where you can find them on the internet. Jen, let's start with you. What is up next in your life and where can we find you if we want to learn more? You can find me and my good friend, Jill, every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Just search for Frugal Friends Podcast. And it is a fun personal finance podcast, much like Stacking Benjamins, but primarily women-led. I'm at Modern Frugality on all socials. And if you're really into saving money, then uh, you can register for our free Frugal Living Summit at the end of July. Registration opens for that soon. And it's at frugallivingsummit.com. The summit sounds incredibly exciting. I am sure it will fill up quickly. Rich, tell us what's happening with Paychecks and Balances and where we can find you. Oh, this is so well-timed. So for those that don't know, I've been twice a month since September. This week, I just launched a new season of the show and I'm going back to a weekly publishing schedule, which is like a, a huge thing. We've already got six to eight episodes in the in the can, which is super exciting. And on this week's show, we're talking crypto. So my Bitcoin comment, it is a topic that that I'm actually interested in. And then on uh, next week's show, and I've also moved the release date to Thursday from Tuesday. And on next week's show, we're going to be talking about a combination of investing in the cannabis industry and also crypto. So one thing I'm really looking forward to this season of the podcast is getting into kind of some of the more exploratory stuff that's out there while also maintaining the fundamentals of personal finance. Because sometimes I think that we play it a little bit too safe. And by having a narrow view, we might be leaving money on the table in other ways. And Joe, tell us about the hijinks of the Stacking Benjamins podcast and where people can find you if they want to know more. Thanks for having me, Doc. And before I do that, I asked, I have to ask Jen a question. You said Frugal Friends is primarily women-led. Is it primarily women-led, kind of women-led, or I think it's... I think it's 100% women-led. It is 100% women-led. We sometimes let some male interviewees on. Um, And we also have, we have Eric, who is kind of like our producer. And so he is not a female and he, I consider him one of the founders. So that's Jill's husband. Your token dude. Yeah, he is our token dude, and uh, he's one of the girls. But I don't know if he'd want me to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll keep it our secret. So the Stacky Benjamin Show is every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We call it the greatest money show on earth because it's a circus and we have a lot of fun. But the uh, big thing for me right now, Doc, is I actually have a book coming out on December 28th. It's called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And it's a combination of the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Detective Manual, and like a kid's scouts guy, but it's for adults and it's, and it's with, and it's around money. So you get achievements at the end of every chapter. You have your mom sign at the bottom that you accomplish stuff. And by the end, you've got a good handle on your money. While it comes out December 28th, every author will tell you that pre-orders are huge, absolutely huge. So if you think you like that, go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacked. And you'll see the, the, the page for the book and you can read up a little bit about it. And if you like it, please pre-order. 
Yeah, and Joe, I've got an advanced look at some of the copy, and I think people are going to really love it. It's hilarious. <laughs> we made ourselves laugh, so that was that was that was good. But you never know, right? That's always a good sign. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast here on Fireside Chat. On behalf of myself, I'd like to thank Jen Smith, Rich Jones, Joe Salcihai, and Ron Friedman. That's a wrap. Goodbye, everybody. Well, you all take care now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys all enjoyed this live conversation we had on the Fireside Chat app. This is something that is new. I've been recording shows every Friday. Here is a chance for you to listen to an episode as it's being recorded. The new app is called Fireside. It is currently in its beta. You can get access in a few ways. One is I've been putting up links in our Facebook group. That's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. You can get a link there. It'll let you sign up to listen to these live conversations. Or you can email me directly and I can send you a connecting link. This app is really cool because it is like live radio. Therefore, you can listen and ask a question and step up on stage and talk to one of our panelists. This is a completely new experience. You'll be able to listen to the episode a week or two before it goes live on Apple or however you listen to this podcast. So it'll be a chance to get a preview as well as take part in an interesting conversation. I'm really excited about this. It is very raw. There's not much space to make errors. I do edit when we go ahead and take the episode and put it on the podcast. But if you're listening to it live, you get to hear all the foibles, the missteps, as well as the funny conversations that go on behind the scenes. Add on to all of that that you can participate, step up on stage, and ask a question while we're in the middle of the panel. I'm really excited to get this going, and I hope you guys eventually join when it goes live. The other thing I wanted to mention about this episode this week is I did it in conjunction with Joe Salcihai. He interviewed Ron Friedman, the guy who wrote the book Decoding Greatness, about reverse engineering. So after you're done listening to this episode... If you don't already listen, find Joe Salcihai's podcast, The Stacking Benjamin Show, and take a listen to him interviewing the author, Ron Friedman, and get his opinion on this idea of how we reverse engineer ourselves to greatness. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to check out Fireside. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
That's AccuWeather Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.